Welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto. This podcast is full of stories and lessons from the persecuted church to help you follow Jesus no matter the cost. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Today, we're going to be sharing some stories that I guarantee will push your understanding of acceptable Christianity to its limits. But before that, my name is Joss Gotto and I'm here in the studio as always with Mike Gore. Always good to be here, Joss. And did you know it is our 60th episode? Wow, we have been doing this for a while now. You know, I actually love it. You told me a story just from a couple of weekends ago. You and Matt were at a wedding. And someone you didn't even know came up to you and said, hey, you know what? I've heard you speak on the Open Doors Live podcast. So, hey, if that was you, that's awesome. Thank (laughs) Thank you so much. We love it that people listen to this podcast. Yeah, I know. And more than that, you'd come and say hello. So if you do ever see us around, please come. Say hello. We'd love to talk to you. Love to meet you. And uh, more than that, if you have any thoughts you want to share on the podcast or reviews you want to give, encouragement, insights, even recommendations on things we can talk about, then why don't you send our producer, Bethany, an email. Her email address is bethanyr at od.org.au. But Joss, like you said, we're getting into some pretty controversial stories here today. (laughs) Over the last 10 years, I've been working with Open Doors. My faith and my view of the church has been challenged in ways, to be honest, I could never really have imagined. Yeah. And before I started working with Open Doors, I kind of had this fairly narrow, I guess, fairly Western view of the church. And and when I say that, I mean the capital C church, the whole body of Christ. Mm. But Joss, it was on 2016, a trip to Palestine, that I met a woman who challenged everything I thought I knew about church. Her name was Sally, and she grew up as a Muslim. Her father was part of an Islamic extremist group. One day, her sister developed an eye problem, and the family, well, they couldn't afford the surgery. A local church came and offered to pay for the treatment. Now, the father, Joss, he was more than happy to accept the money, but he didn't want to hear anything about the gospel. Yeah, right. And so whenever he was out of the home, the people from the church would share the gospel with Sally and her siblings. They gave her a Bible, and after several months of reading the Bible, Sally prayed a prayer one night. She said, God, I used to be Muslim. I now need to be Christian. And that night she had a dream where her whole family were in heaven. They were waiting in line to see Jesus. Sally told me that in that moment she felt warm and loved and on the spot committed to following Jesus. As I spoke with Sally, she told me that when she was a Muslim, Josh, she would pray five times a day to a God who terrified her. But then when she met Jesus, it got a grace that reached out to her. She prayed 10 times a day. Wow. In a guess, a sad kind of twist to the story. After she got married, she moved away from her family, her partner and her found an evangelical church to go to. And she said, when I I went there, they they told me that all I needed to do was pray once a day. Mm. And she said to me, Mike, how after a lifetime of seeking God, when I find him, can you not expect me to express it the only way I know how? And it's one of the things I love about the persecuted yeah, church, right? Yeah. They do. They push our idea of acceptable Christianity to its limits. And for the listeners, the best example I can give you of that is the church that we're seeing rise up in the Middle East. It's what we call a Muslim background believer church. And in many ways, the beauty of the church is the diversity of mm. the global church. Mm. Because, Joss, this church, man, it looks vastly different to the church that you and I are comfortable with. For example... We're seeing a church rise up where believers from a Muslim background will still pray using a prayer mat. They'll pray five times a day. They'll kneel on the ground, but they'll face Jerusalem. Yeah, wow. During Ramadan, they will fast for a whole month, 
but in pursuit of Jesus. And like within Islamic culture, they will learn the scriptures, the Bible, cover to cover. Mm. They'll become bold and passionate evangelists, but without the extremism. I think for me, one of the best ways I can describe this for our listeners, and maybe yourself, Joss, is that in Western cultures, we have a very monocultural church. Mm. And now I think people listening to this will go, oh, you just mean in skin tone. We need to be more multicultural. Mm. No, no, no. When I'm talking about culture, I, I think one of the best ways to define diversity when it comes to culture is essentially saying it's a freedom for people to express their views or their practices Mm. the way that they feel safe and comfortable to do so. Mm. That's diversity of culture. And so for us in Western churches, a good and valid question is when people from other cultures or other faith backgrounds come to our church, do we indoctrinate them to the church or do we introduce them to Jesus and let them express it the only way they know how? And so for me, one of the things I'd love to see over the coming years and decades in Australia is a more multicultural church and more openness to allowing people to express how they worship God in the way that is culturally safe and relevant to them. And to be clear, it doesn't mean that they're not Christian, yeah. right? Yeah. To have a prayer mat, to even use bees, to have iconistic elements to worship, it doesn't make them not Christian. The hardest decisions in life, Joss, they're never between right and wrong. They're between right and right. And in so many ways, faith expression is an issue of right and right. People who may express their love differently through art, through song, through writing, through prayer. But again, it's not an issue of right or wrong, Joss. Yeah. It's an issue of of right and right. And so that's my dream is that we might see a more united church, yeah. a church that chases unity over uniformity. Yeah. And I think for me, that's one of the, the exciting things that could uh, eventuate over the next few years in the Western church. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Mike. I love the the idea of unity over uniformity. And I think that a part and, and you know, when, when unity can look so beautiful is when it is actually full of diversity mm. uni- unity and diversity and not they don't have to be separate things they can coexist and i think you know that would be such a beautiful picture of the church whether the global church the the, the free church and the persecuted mm. church coming together but even the church in the west the different denominations not being so divided by our differences but rather united by what we do have in common and that is jesus christ but you sharing Sally's story, Mike, it reminds me of a time that we, we shared together in Lebanon a couple of years ago. Yeah. You took me and my husband, Matt, on our first trip to encounter the persecuted church, and that really did stretch our understanding of acceptable Christianity to its limits. My husband and I, we both grew up in you know more conservative Anglican mm. background churches, which is fine and good and great, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Um but our eyes have also been so much more open since experiencing the church and experiencing the ways that um, Christianity can be outworked in such different and beautiful and diverse ways um, all over the world and here in Australia. I remember that trip, actually. Do you remember, I'm not sure if you're going to tell this story or not, but do you remember the way in which not only you wrestled with, I guess, the fear around heading into a war zone Mm. or at least on the very edge of a war zone, but... The, the way that there was one particular story down in the Bacar Valley yeah. that I remember pushed our, not just yours and Matt's, but mine too, our idea of this notion of acceptable Christianity to its limits. Can you, do you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Talking about going to the Bacar Valley, which is this beautiful wine region in Lebanon. It's right on the border of Syria. It is stunning. Uh, but back then, I think it was 2017 that we were there, it was kind of at the height of the war with ISIS and that valley was flooded with 500,000 mm. refugees. So all these beautiful kind of vineyards all trampled now with and set up with all these different refugee camps. Then we went to one of the local churches on the border there that ran two services each Sunday. 
And the first service was full of Muslim converts. The second was full of veiled women seeking Jesus. And the pastor would begin each of those services by asking whose prayer from last week had Jesus answered. And I remember there were so many hands that would go up, testimony after testimony, story after story of how Jesus had come through for them, how Jesus had shown up for them and answered their prayers. And the service would finish with the pastor asking the women what their prayer requests were for the following Mm. week. And it was wild because these women, still fully veiled, still probably would refer to themselves as Muslim, they woke up every day with this expectation that Jesus would have heard their prayers and more than that, that he was going to answer them. And I know, you know, we kind of wrestled, Matt, yourself, me, with this idea that, hang on, these Muslim women have more faith and more expectation that Jesus would answer their prayers than we did. And we all grew up in the church. You know, this is decades worth of church, of worship, of praying to Jesus. Um, And in that moment, it all kind of undid us all because we realized, hang on, Muslims have more expectation that Jesus will hear and answer their prayers than we do. Um, And I think, you know, how easy is it for me to forget and maybe you're like me, but how easy is it for me to forget what I prayed for yesterday, mm. let alone last week, let alone what I've been petitioning God for for months on end? Um, and do I actually wake up with an expectation that when I pray, God is going to hear it and he's going to answer, he's going to come through? But that church service, that, ch- that service filled with veiled Muslim background women taught us that prayer is so much more than asking for the things that we want. It's about trusting God for the things that we need. And that kind of prayer, I truly believe, is an act of worship. Yeah, such a, even as you're retelling that story, it brings so many memories back to me. And I think, you know, if we can take a little bit of a tangent for just a moment and for <laughs> our listeners, I guess to get a little bit vulnerable, you know, for me, prayer, and I've said it many times, prayer is is probably one of the most boring sides of outworking my Christianity. Yeah. I don't think you're alone in thinking that. Yeah. I I mean, I don't want that to be super offensive to people, but it's something that I find really difficult. I know that um, one of my wife's aunties, a passionate Christian woman, Christian for years and years and years. But I remember at Christmas one year talking to her and we were discussing faith and a few other things. And she said something that I won't soon forget because she said, look, I I love God and I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure that he answers prayer. Wow. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, man, this this lady's like a, a stalwart of faith, but she truly believes that God doesn't answer prayer. Mm. And then, Josh, if I think through the last few months of my life, just here, you know, I've mm. had the death of my, one of my closest friends. Mm. It drops dead on the spot in his early 40s at work, a passionate Christian guy. I mean, one of the most incredible Christian men you will ever meet, yeah. right? His daughter uh, calls me saying, well, you know what? Jesus raises people from the dead in the Bible. I prayed for dad. Why didn't it happen? Wow. You know, like these are, they're, they're actually normal and okay questions. Yeah, yeah. But I'm left going, you know what? We're all wrestling. Well, I don't know why it didn't thing. happen, right? Yeah. I asked for the same thing. Yeah. And then there's other times where I've got uh, one of my daughters, you know, has got this sort of little skin condition thing that again, it's nothing big and bad, but it, my heart breaks for it because it's just annoying and yeah. difficult. Yet yeah. I pray daily for months that God would heal and remove it. And I've said, you know what? I know you can do this, God. Yeah. But yet he doesn't seem to. And so I, I actually think if for Beth, our producer, I reckon we should do an episode on prayer because yeah. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the people listening to this probably feel the same way that I do, that prayer is at times difficult and boring. Mm. But one of the things I'd say that I've learned in the middle of that is that it's probably not, it's probably not an issue of prayer 
it's an issue of better understanding what prayer is. Yeah. And I think we could probably flesh that out more and, and, and I'm happy to walk a bit of my journey, I guess, yeah. publicly yeah. with that. Yeah, Mike, I think that would be a really powerful episode. And one of the lessons I've kind of learned or wrestled through over the last year with COVID is that learning that prayer, it really isn't just an individual thing. Like, yes, there are times for me and God and for the two of us to kind of wrestle it out. Um, but it's also a communal thing. It's also part mm. of a community. And one of the things I've missed the most in, you know, being in and out of church and in and out of Bible study groups and things like that is actually praying with other believers because I think it's powerful when we come together and petition God together. Um, and it's part of our unity as the body of Christ is that these moments of sharing and of vulnerability and of, you know, yeah, petitioning mm. God, but not just on my own in community um, and I think it's one of the things that really does unify us no matter, you know, what kind of part of the body of Christ you identify yourself with necessarily. Um, we can all actually come together before the throne of God and pray to him. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll unpack a bit, that talks about the body of Christ and how many different parts there are and how we all must function together. So let me just read this for you. If you've got your Bibles or maybe your phone, you might like to read along with me. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12 to 27. And it says this, there is one body, but it has many parts, but all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit. And so we are formed into one body, It didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. Suppose the foot says, I am not a hand, so I do not belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being a part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I am not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there is only one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it is just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones that we can't do without. The parts that we think are less important, we treat with special honour. The private parts aren't shown, they are treated with special care. The parts that can be shown don't need special care, but God has put together all the parts of the body and he has given more honour to the parts that didn't have any. In that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. I've always loved that passage of scripture, particularly because of the deep sense of meaning and memory it brings me. I remember being in Iraq in 2015, Joss. It was the height of the war with ISIS. I mean, people were arriving by the countless thousands on foot, simply carrying the possessions they could have grabbed before they were displaced by ISIS. ISIS would often come in the middle of the night. They would wake people up. I remember one grandfather walking with no shoes and just holding a pillow this kind of look of dazed, distant despondency on his face and hearing their stories of displacement, and not only heartbreaking, but the stories that I've always committed to retelling. I remember one person said to me, save me, save me. She was this woman who had been displaced by ISIS and I remember talking to her through interpreter and said, look, there's not much I can do for you. I mean, she's offering, she said, I'll come and work in your house. I'll cook you meals. I'll Look, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Just please save me. And... 
say. <laughs> it was so hard. I, I, I remarked to a friend on that trip. I said, she used those words with the same desperation as a person as though they were drowning. Wow. And I said, and in that moment, if they were drowning, I would do everything I could to save them. Yeah. But I said, here, I just watched her. It's almost like I watched her drown in front of me. And what I did say to her was, there's not much else I can do other than what we're doing now. But one thing I will do is I promise to tell your story to the world. Yeah. Right? And let the world know that this is happening and that people need to help you. But on that trip, I also was given an insight into the body of Christ that I'll never forget. And to be honest, we've shared this a few times on the podcast. And my hope is people don't sort of tune out in this moment. Because this is one of the most powerful, one of the most incredibly um, engaging and one of the most unifying pictures of the body of Christ I've ever heard. Yeah. I was speaking to a brother in Iraq and he said, well, the challenge is in the West, you look at the body of Christ as though it were arms, legs, fingers and toes. But he said, for us, we look at it as though it's blood, bones, muscle and skin. He said, if you remove any one element of the body, well, it falls to the ground. Take Catholics, for example. Well, they're like the bones. They're rigid and very traditional. But you take them away from the body, Mike, and the body can't stand. He said the Anglicans, well, they're like the muscles. They're kind of rigid, but you can move them a little bit. But again, you take any one of those elements away from the body and the body can't stand. And he said, and then like a body fighting off wound or infection, blood flow increases, muscles contract, and other parts of that body rush to that area to protect it. He said the body of Christ in Iraq is hurting and we are rushing to protect it. I think that's such a beautifully poetic picture of the body of Christ. It is. It's so profound. And I, until you had told me that story many years ago, I had just looked at the body of Christ as arms, legs, fingers, toes. Like it's, it is such a profound um, and deep way of understanding what the body truly looks like. But, but the convicting part of that analogy, Joss, is that for me, in that moment, I realised for at that stage, maybe thirty-seven years of my life, I had been in the inverted commas body, mm. but I'd never been in the fight. You know, it's as though we know there are 340 million Christians around the world who face extreme persecution for their faith. I had kind of rendered there to be this little stick man body of Christ in Australia and one in New Zealand and America and the UK and Iraq and Syria. No, 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 there's one body. And my hope is today, even as our listeners are hearing this, I'm like, we're in the body. My question to you as listeners and, and to myself as much is, we're in the body, but are we in the fight? And that's what Open Doors does for 65 years. We've encouraged people in the body to come together chasing unity not uniformity with a desperate desire to say hey you know what just like a normal body does it clamps if your back goes out all those muscles clamp down blood rushes to the area trying to restore it well that's what open doors does a restorative ministry in that sense saying to the global body of christ hey one part's hurting one part's suffering you're in that same body now get in the fight that is so true mike and such a convicting and challenging kind of question you're in the body but are you in the fight and you know, I think as, as Easter is approaching, what better time to reflect on that question, on the question of unity and on, of coming together, um, of being more united than divided as a church and to truly stand with our brothers and sisters all over the world, whether in Australia here, the different denominations that will gather um, over the weekend who will celebrate Easter in different ways, but also with the persecuted church as well. But the one thing that does unite us, whether here or overseas, whether Anglican, Baptist, Orthodox, Catholic, you name it, the one thing that does unite us as Christians is Jesus, mm. the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate at Easter. And that's what I love about our One With Them campaign. And it sounds quite salesy, but I'm not trying to do that. But this Easter, as always, we ask people to give one day's wage to the persecuted church. And the reason is that we're asking people, hey, get in the fight. Yeah. 
Right, this is an important issue. It's You've got human rights issues out there. You've got all these kind of things, social justice issues. Well, this is a gospel advancing issue. Yeah. This is a, like ensuring the future of faith kind of issue. And the reason we quantify it around that one day, Joss, is that I, I really am passionate to say, you know what? I want 15-year-old casual workers at KFC as well as, you know, business owners yeah. to be able to have as greater impact in their view for the gospel. You know, one day out of the next 365, are you willing to work for free for the persecuted church? And so on April 1, we're asking all of our listeners to consider doing that. Take a stand, get in the fight. Just one body and large parts of it outwork their faith under great restriction. And Easter, a time that we take for granted as a beautiful celebration, and it is that, is actually met with an incredibly ferocious response for many. And so if, if you're listening today, I'd love you to jump online and go to the website with onewiththem.org and find out more about donating or supporting us because I think that this is a crucial campaign. We ask people to draw a cross on the inside of their wrist, to share it on social media. We want people to take faith from their private life into the public sphere mm. and at the same time show the global body of Christ that we're chasing unity over uniformity and we're willing to get in the fight. Yeah, I love that. And I think as we wrap up today's episode, I think something that would be really powerful for us to do together is to pray, to pray for unity in the church, to pray for Easter and for the persecuted church and what that looks like. So wherever you are right now, I wonder if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways that you look after us and provide for us, God. For We thank you at this time of year, especially for the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord, for the life that it gives us and the eternal life um, that it brings us. Father, we pray for the church, the whole body of Christ, God, wherever we are in the world, whatever you know, part or function we have in the body. God, we pray for unity. We pray that we would be more united than we are divided, God, that we would see the beauty in diversity, that we would see the beauty in the differences, the ways that we worship you, God, that there is no right or wrong when we are solely chasing you and solely wanting to worship you, God. So we pray for the body of Christ this Easter, that we would be united front, that we would stand together, that we would support one another and that we would show the world your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Remember, unity, not uniformity, and that we're part of one body. Our question is, man, are we in the fight? So this Easter, it's our time to stand united as one church and truly one with them. So God bless you all, and we'll catch you next month. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. And for more information of how you can get involved, go to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Beth, and we'll catch you next month for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.